The talk you are about to hear is by Zen teacher Sensei Amala Wrightson. Today is Tuesday, the 2nd of June, 2020, and uh, this is the first Taisho back in the Zendo here after the, the great pause of the pandemic. Uh, the last one I delivered from here was on the 10th of March, so that's just 12 weeks ago, a quarter of a year. And we've, we've come back into a different world. A lot has changed, some people are saying. Other people are saying nothing has changed. But I think it's fair to say that we've come back at least into a world in which the fault lines and the vulnerabilities have become more apparent, the inequalities between people and um, I have found myself, both during and, and since we came, we came out, both hopeful and anxious. I'll come back to these a bit later, but first I'd like to just have a look at optimism, pessimism and realism. And I'd like to explore these a little bit, sort of by through through examples. Um, I've heard in the last couple of days um, on on the radio um, two times Christiana Figueres talking. Um, some people may recognise her name. Um, she's from Costa Rica, and she was the executive secretary of the UNFCCC from 2010 to 2016, that's the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. So it was her job to organise and, and hold the, the Paris climate change talks. And she was appointed right after the failure of the negotiations at the 2009 Copenhagen Conference. And she tells the story of facing her first press conference um, after she had taken up the position. And um, during this interview, a reporter asked her, do you really think that a global um, agreement is ever going to be possible? And she found herself saying, not in my lifetime. And she said, when she counted it, she said it was if she said it without really engaging her brain. It probably wasn't what she was supposed to say as the secretary, executive secretary of the, this organization. But how, she relates that she was horrified that these words had come out of her mouth, horrified at her own response. And although it expressed the mood of the moment, people were very discouraged after no agreement was come to in Copenhagen. At the same time, she realized that by, by saying that, 
she was in a sense condemning future generations to to the chaos and um, and social breakdown that would come from um, letting temperatures rise. She also thought at that time of of her two daughters who were quite young at that stage and she said it was if something some deep maternal instinct kicked in and this this press conference became a kind of turning point for her and she came to um, um, a sense of conviction that we needed to see how see ourselves not as victims of the past but as co-creators of the future and she said um, impossible is not a fact but an attitude and she felt she took up this this um, attitude of um, what she came to call stubborn optimism She felt she had this responsibility to future generations to try and get an agreement <clears throat> in Paris. Um, recently she said about this that um, our, our particular generation, she, I think she was born two, two years before me, 1956, um, are the ones who have to do this. She said our parents couldn't do it and our for if, if we leave it to our children it'll be too late. She, she came out of this, this, this um, horrible moment um, convinced that she had to go, in a sense, go to that depth in order to, to emerge from it. Now she's, she uh, will say in talks, it is only at the moment of greatest darkness that we actually need the greatest light. So she, she took up this sense of optimism and she said first it was a matter of making the choice of um, practicing optimism and it is a practice rather than a feeling and then she said I had to figure out how to be contagious with it. And some, perhaps in the context of the, of the pandemic now it's important to understand that viruses can be contagious, sicknesses, but also um, positive states of mind and of course negative ones as well we're permeable in so many ways mentally physically and in the years where she was secretary of of the um, UN convention on climate change slowly over the those years people went from thinking it was impossible that an agreement will be made to possible and finally she said unstoppable after after she left the the convention on climate change she she formed a um, an organization and she called it calls it global optimism she formed it with somebody called Tom Rivette um, can't read my own writing. Canal, I think. 
<clears throat> and this is what they say is, and is sort of their um, d description of their, what they do. <clears throat> Our work is defined by a spirit of stubborn optimism, a mindset based on grit and determination in the face of difficult systemic changes. We must cut global emissions by half between 2020 and 2030, eventually reaching net zero by 2050. And this is undeniably the greatest challenge in human history. But it is also our greatest opportunity. We work to inspire and catalyze stubborn optimists around the world to rise to the next level of our abilities because it is necessary to do so and because together we can. So this, this optimism isn't sort of just um, believing that, that a certain path or, or event is, is going to happen in the future, but rather a sense of orientation towards um, necessity, towards um, rising to this challenge. And she, she do, defines, in one interview, she defines Optimus as courage, hope, trust, and solidarity. And another one we might add here might be commitment. She was asked in another interview once what if she experienced doubt and discouragement and she said yes of course but now mostly moments of deep anger but she also said that she finds she can use the energy of her anger and transform its nature into action. So again, optimism not so much as a feeling but as an attitude, um, a kind of aspiration that, that shapes our action in the present. I think of the, in, um, in Zen we talk of, of uh, great determination, the sticking power. I was talking to, to Robin this morning about this, this topic and she reminded me of all the work that Joanna Macy has done and um, a book that we recently got for the library called Active Hope. That's Active Hope. How to face the mess we're in without going crazy. And just to, to read a little bit of it here. This is headed up, what is active hope? Whenever, whatever situation we face, we can choose our response. When facing overwhelming challenges, we might feel that our actions don't count for much. Yet the kind of responses we make and the degree to which we believe they count are shaped by the way we think and feel about hope. Here's an example. Jane cared deeply about the world and was horrified by what she saw happening. She regarded human beings as a lost cause, as so stuck in our destructive ways that she saw the complete wrecking of our world as inevitable. 
What's the point of doing anything if it won't change what we're heading for, she asked. The word, word hope has two different meanings. The first involves hopefulness, where our preferred outcome seems reasonably likely to happen. If we require this kind of hope before we commit ourselves to an action, our response gets blocked in areas where we don't rate our chances too high. This is what happened for Jane. She felt so hopeless she didn't see the point of even trying to do anything. The second meaning is about desire. When Jane was asked what she'd like to have happen in our world, without hesitation she described the future she hoped for, the kind of world she longed for so much it hurt. It is this kind of hope that starts our journey, knowing what we hope for and what we'd like or love to take place. It is what we do with this hope that really makes the difference. Passive hope is about waiting for external agencies to bring about what we desire. Active hope is about becoming active participants in bringing about what we hope for. And we could connect this to um, a f a f some f a verse from the Way of the Bodhisattva by Shantideva that that uh, we've been studying. Those who long to transcend the hundreds of miseries of existence, who long to relieve creatures of their sorrows, who long to enjoy the many hundreds of joys, must never abandon the awakening mind. And this this is really the the attitude of the Bodhisattva. Connecting with our our deepest hopes, deepest aspirations, and then and then not abandoning them, but but cultivating the sense of um, of the awakening mind, or in some translations. This is a translation of bodhicitta, sometimes translated as. Um, the um, it's the com it's the compassionate mind or the or the wise heart. Um, Jonah Macy goes on, active hope is a practice, like Tai Chi or gardening. It is something we do rather than something we have. So again, we're talking about something more than a feeling, something we have, but rather um, a choice we make, and a, and a choice we make again and again, not just once. It's a turning towards or a, or a practice of something. It is a process we can apply to any situation, and it involves three key steps. First is to make is it, first is to take a clear view of reality. Second, we identify what we hope for in terms of the direction we'd like things to move in or the values we'd like to see expressed. And third, we take steps to move ourselves or our situation in that direction.
The guiding impetus is the intention. We choose what we aim to bring about, act for or express. Rather than weighing our chances and proceeding only when we feel hopeful, we focus on our intention and let it be our guide. And if we were to relate this to, to the Dharma teachings, we'd say that, that she's talking here about, about um, the second of the Eightfold Path, right aspiration, seeing clearly something clearly and then responding. Even if, if the task seems pretty impossible, when we, when we finish tonight, we'll, we'll be chanting the, the four vows. The first of which, well, all of them really, are phrased in ways to sound pretty much impossible. All beings without number, I vow to liberate. Beings are numberless. Just think of, of, of all the human beings that exist. But we're not just talking about all the human beings, we're talking about all beings. Every single ant, every cricket, every moth. Beings are numberless. Their sufferings are endless. But we vow to liberate them all the same. Because this, this aspiration isn't, isn't just um, to do with reaching a certain result, but of, of taking an attitude, taking a stance, which we're choosing solidarity and compassion as a way, as a process that has value in and of itself. Uh, Jeffrey Shugan Arnold, who's the he's the uh, abbot of um, Zen Mountains Monastery and, and visits New Zealand regularly, um, said this about um, Bodhicitta: "Is manifesting an enlightened society just a dream? Yes, it is a dream, but it is a good dream." It's a dream we need to have for ourselves and for one another. So I think Christina, Christi, Christiana um, Figueres is a great um, example of of stubborn optimism. And we'll come back to we'll come back to her at the end. Um, but now just um, to have a look at um, pessimism. And I do think there is a place for pessimism alongside optimism. The example um, that that struck me today was, some people may have read his works, uh, is Pro Professor 
uh, Jim Bendel. Um, he's, um, he's a professor in, in um, north of England. Um, he was he works as, I think a professor of sustainability leadership or something like that. And um, he spelled long spelled much of his career um, working on sustainability for business and finance. But then he had his own epiphany um, in 2008 um, when looking at um, much of the, the um, research on climate change, he came to the conclusion that um, climate-induced societal collapse is inevitable. He wrote a, a um, quite a long, detailed paper on this, but the journal he submitted to to refused to printers. So he ended up uh, releasing it himself um, in order to um, promote discussion on how we might um, respond to and adapt to um, near-term climate chaos, essentially. And his movement now has, is known as um, deep adaptation. So, so if, if, if optimism and pessimism are on a, on a, on a kind of continuum, he's definitely over, <laughs> over to the pessimistic side. Um, but we have to face our darkest um, beliefs as, as well. Uh, we don't come to um, perhaps active hope without looking into, into our despair. And Joanna Macy's work, um, originally she called it despair work, and, it, and um, a large part of that work with, with, with many hundreds of people was helping people to face their despair about um, the fate of the world, of our biosphere, and, and through that honesty of facing it, coming through the other side and being able to come to a place of, of active hope. I think although optimism can be a choice and pessimism can be a choice, I think there's also an element in how we respond to the crisis we're in. There's an element of temperament and that, that some people are more melancholic by nature and tend to pessimism and other people are, are more upbeat and tend towards optimism. I would probably class myself as being over on the melancholic side. And we can, we can appreciate this, this aspect of this kind of response um, in this way, that it can be a powerful impetus for doing inner work, for asking, asking the, the hard-to-ask questions. I looked for an example of, of some of this in, in Bendel's writings. And um, there's an, a piece that is a, it's a, um, 
preface to a book, recent a book that just came out or about to come out, and he talks about the different stages he went through in um, after he'd come to this this realization that um, uh, of the prospect of of societal collapse, and um, part of it is finding community, finding others to to do explore the ideas of, of, of forthcoming loss and how to connect with each other and support each other through this process. And he talked about um, uh, transformation as well. well. He says, one reason I introduced deep adaptation framework was to open up conversations on the myriad of potential responses once we believe that the breakdown or collapse of our civilization is likely or inevitable within our own lifetimes, your inner and outer transformation could be supported through newfound community and resources. But ultimately, you need to find your own path in what is completely new ter territory for humanity, uh, yes, regarding our own extinction, and pulling a lot down with us at the, t at the same time. And then he talks about another consequence of this process he talks about dying well although we all die modern society seems to hide this away from our daily consciousness an awakening to our climate predicament is an awakening to our common mortality and impermanence more generally and this is perhaps one of the areas where the our experience of the of the pandemic may um, help us to or give us a greater awareness of death and impermanence that um, can can um, galvanize galvanize us to change how we live, how we consume, how we travel. Often talk of responding to climate chaos, including how it can transform our lives, can focus on what we can do differently, but, the, but there is an assumption it is only about how we live differently. That is not enough. Indeed, we can ask what dying well might look like for us. What do I want to look back on? How do I want to approach death? What might I die for? How do I feel about what happens, if anything, after death? How might I help others to approach the death of themselves and others more consciously and lovingly? We can see here how perhaps really facing our darkest thoughts can bring us to um, spiritual questions. The first step to creating those new conversations that create new stories is belong, belonging and new stories and belonging is to break the taboo around climate-induced collapse. Joanna Macy makes this point too that um, it's it's healthy to um, get out of denial and and really look at our, our deepest fears and concerns about what's going to happen.
Now there's the, the third of these, this um, trilogy, Realism. To, to find our way um, past either optimism or pessimism. Um, one of the things that we human beings dislike quite a lot, a great deal, is uncertainty. And so we'll often fill that, that void of not knowing how things are going to go unfold with um, different kinds of, of certainties that we will, will fabricate. Really, we don't know how things are going to unfold exactly. It's, un it's open, it's deeply uncertain. And until it comes, and it never does, the future is, is basically thoughts and images. That's why, in a sense, why um, we have to pay so much attention to our attitude and our motivations because they create the world in which we live. I'd like to just come back to um, Christiana Figueres and, and just talk a little bit about what she's saying about this moment we're in right now. Um, and we probably will have time to just have a little bit of, of um, discussion after that. Um, perhaps we can try just doing it in, in the Zendo this time. Um, and just how, how people are feeling or um, if, what people have gone through in their, in their great pause, in their lockdown. But just lastly, um, to just say a little bit about um, this other uh, broadcast I heard, which included Christiana Figueres. It's, it's on RNZ. It's a Guy and Espina podcast, and it's part of a series called after the virus, and this one was on the environment, and it was Guy and Espinosa interviewing on Zoom three people, one of whom was Christiana Figueres, the other was Simon Upton and um, Akim Steiner. And um, I was particularly struck by um, the predictions that she was, was um, what she was saying, because it was it was very much what I had been feeling myself during um, lockdown, a sort of sense of foreboding um, in terms of how how we might come out and out, out of it and what might happen. And here's here's some of what she said. And this is a part of it. There's much more. Um, but she said, "We thought this was the decisive decade for climate change. No, forget it." This is it. We are at an irreversible T-junction. 
10 to 20 trillion dollars will be spent on economic recovery packages around the world. It will not be possible to repeat these because we'll be going into, into a huge amount of debt to, to um, finance them. If nations try to return to the old normal, they will lock in rising emission levels. This huge investment must, has a responsibility to address climate change. These stimulus packages, and what she's saying is these stimulus pa packages must address the acute condition, the pandemic, but at the same time, all bring to, bring to this process all the underlying chronic conditions that we're suffering as a planet, environmental breakdown, climate crisis, and then also the, the, the chronic conditions that we suffer as, as a global society, inequality, the huge inequalities that have been shown up by this, this crisis, racism, seeing this in America now with the the seven nights now of, of rioting and a, a stupid response to that. This is something that's been going on for decades. The impunity of police in America when killing black men, often for the, the most minor of crimes, if any crime at all. And she's, she was saying that this there must be a concerted effort that merges, that understands the interrelationships between all these different crises and, and uh, addresses them in a coordinated way. They have to be um, green responses, ones that involve social inclusion, that, that, that um, many jobs, and that must think not just of the short term, but of the long term. So she said, again, we thought we had one to 10 years, but we really now have three to 18 months. Either the dollars will be spent in a regenerative way or the, the destruction of the, of the environment will be locked in. And she said, it's a moment of choice. It's a crossword or roads for the whole of humanity. And that's the optimist talking. <laughs> so just to, to, to wrap up and just open up for people to, to um, participate. Um, coming out of lockdown, I find myself with both this hope and the anxiety. Um, hope that, that that for many people, and there is some evidence of this, the lockdown has been a time of reflection, a time of really appreciating what is of true value, finding greater simplicity, seeing the value of simple things, and coming out wanting to, one way or another, um, keep some of those things going that were found to be of value. Not getting caught up in busyness, 
in the same way or in just mindless consumption. Also perhaps people seeing that actually we can come together, we can coordinate and change the way we do things. This is so powerful. That's on the one side. And then, the, then on the other side, the fear that um, people will try to just maintain what is toxic and ignore our chronic problems and, our, and uh, that we will um, waste this opportunity. And certainly we can, we, can, we can see lots of evidence happening at the moment in many places of um, social breakdown. We're so fortunate in New Zealand to have had this, this sense of trust that enabled us to, to um, really come together over what's happened. And uh, I guess we can only um, hope <laughs> actively hope that um, our leaders and especially Jacinda Ardern with her amazing powers of communication can rise to the true challenge which is post lockdown, post uh, virus. So whether we're an optimist or a pessimist that we find how we need to respond to this crisis and with optimism wise self unself interested I could say rather say action and if it's pessimism then go all the way with that to deep introspection to questioning to real insight into our impermanence our vulnerability how, how pervasive suffering is and uh, how um, ephemeral what can seem so solid and certain and to, and to be relied on how ephemeral all of that can, really is. So um, have a little bit of time um, really enjoy hearing um, about everybody's hopes and fears and thoughts. Would anybody like to start? We'll pass the, can pass the recorder around a bit. Grant, you look like... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, two, two things hit me quite hard with the lockdown. Um, it was a, a strong opportunity to see how, how the country came together. It was really inspiring, actually. And um, when we first went into lockdown, I was really um, happy that it happened. And I thought, this is the right thing to do, because there was fear. We didn't know what was, what was happening. Um, but since then, the fear, I think, has, um, what I'm feeling, um, is sort of overtaken, is overtaking a lot of people. 
Um, and and I'm feeling now that we 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 we're back to where we were actually, and it doesn't feel a lot. Of, it doesn't feel a lot of difference. And it's to me what I'm what I'm thinking now when you're speaking about Christiania. Have we reached the, reached the bottom of this pessimism to actually go forward again, to go up? And I'm feeling we haven't um, gone there yet. We just touched it and got a got a sense of what's possible and some beauty in that. Um, but I, I see the system still being a financial system. I still see it the same things working in my own work, there's redundancies coming up, this whole mechanism is, is exactly what it was when I left um, around um, fear of, of getting what we had before and I, I, I just don't see, I just don't feel a system change there, I just, it just, yeah, it's just not alive in me, I just don't see it and I don't think, yeah, I just, you know, I, I just love to see it, I'd love, I'd love there to be some power of, the, of change and what I'm seeing is people retracting, I'm seeing zooms here, there and everywhere, just everybody wants to get safe and this is the way to do it and, and it's like a retraction and I think it's, to me it feels like the wrong way, it should be the other way, but people don't even want to touch each other and um, so there's quite a mixture of emotions around it but I do come back to that, um, that deep longing of, of what's important um, to me and what's, what, what is possible and um, I do think that is the heart work of, of this work, heart, heart mind and um, I think practice like this is so powerful um, and it probably will come down to individual practice of, of the many different um, spheres to, to, to get some shift. Yeah, so there's lots of stuff happening there for me, yeah. I want to give somebody else an opportunity, yeah. Thank you. So for, for me, I think the most amazing lesson from, from the lockdown was how quickly public policy can do things when they have to. Uh, there were, because I, I work in the public sector, there were things that we were always told are impossible. I would take, you know, two years of deliberation to implement, and uh, the same or similar things were just implemented in two weeks' time. Uh, so, <laughs> so I, I got very aware of how much we are under utilizing just just being too careful and too risk averse and uh, how how this attitude has been pervading the whole system and you you only notice it when it's gone for a moment and uh, i have on on the one hand i have much more faith that if we really decided to or felt we were forced to do something we really could take uh, ambitious uh, uh, no drastic action uh, on the other hand, what, what I've seen as a move to very short-term thinking and, and to dealing with what's immediate, uh, and especially now with the coming economic fallout from, from the pandemic, uh, I'm, I'm a bit worried that this, this will just take over the narrative and we will just focus on economic growth. Uh, more, more than anything, because this, this will respond to the immediate needs of, of those who 
have lost their incomes or who have lost lost their jobs, lost their businesses. So so that's on a system level, but also what you what you said, ground that system didn't change. Uh, this is not over yet. This just has started. <laughs> uh, so I, uh, it it is, it's my personal belief uh, based on stuff I I read. Um, it's it's not the first pandemic that we will see uh, because this is linked to climate change and uh, wildlife meeting non-wildlife more often than it used to. Uh, this is not the end of economic turbulence because many systems were stretched very thin and, and didn't have much uh, spare capacity to them. Uh, and uh, for, for, for me, there's a bit of anxiety that something big is just starting. It's starting very slowly and uh, we will think that, oh, it's over. <laughs> pandemic is over, but uh, we, will, we will see more and more events, one, once in a hundred years events in, in the coming decades. So, so that's what makes me anxious. And at the same time, this, this capacity of, of systems, of people, of politicians to, to really uh, take action when they have to, that's something that gives me hope. And I'm, I'm actually, it's, it, it, it's, it's challenging to keep both mm -hmm. uh, in my heart at the same time because they're so different. So, so I'm, I'm coming out of lockdown confused and that's okay. <laughs> Anybody else? Just one response to you, Grant, which is, which is um, just I think one of the things to be aware of, and these writers say it at times, is that there's not just one response. There need to be all kinds of different responses. But it is heartening to hear what you say, Celestina, about <clears throat> people being able to do things when they have to, because that'll come soon enough, <laughs> the have to part. Anything, any last things people want to add? Did we have a plan for a cup of tea? I've boiled the jug, so yes, um, a cup of tea. Should I go make it? Are you going to drink it in here again? Sunday? Have it in here again? Yeah, that was what I was yeah. thinking. Yeah, yeah. We, on Sunday, just, just because we are trying to observe the physical distancing, on Sunday we, we served the tea in the Zendo and it worked out quite well, so um, We'll do the same and just do feel free though to stretch your legs if you need to. Um, and um, we'll just, we'll end Taisho now with the four vows. And then again, um, we just, we'll just do um, the bow to the Buddha and the bow to the each other at the, at the, when we do the standing bows. All beings without number, I vow to liberate and... The teaching you have received is offered freely 
If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.aucklandzen.org.nz.